So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.G. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. I am so excited for the podcast today because, you know, it's a little unusual for me, but I actually have my guest in the office here with me, Tarl Yarber. I know a lot of you probably already know who he is because of a lot of our listeners um, we get from everything from bigger pockets and different things like that. And uh, Tarl is very involved in the investing community and world. If you haven't seen him on YouTube and seen what he's doing, you have to check it out. And he came over to Idaho to visit us and I asked him to please be on our podcast. So I get to have him right here in my office with me. So, you know, How's it going, man? Awesome. Thanks for having me, AJ. Super excited to be here in beautiful Idaho with you right now. I know. You brought the rain. Yes. (laughs) It's like home. I'm from Seattle, for those of you guys that don't know. (laughs) That's right. No, it's it's been awesome. And we've been, you know, as we've been talking over the last couple days here, it's just been like my brain's been been going a million miles an hour, and I, I love it. I just, it's you know, gets me excited. I'm thinking about all this stuff and I, it makes me question and think about different ways that I'm going and what I'm doing. And I just think it's, think it's awesome and helpful. But for those that don't know you, tell, tell a little bit about yourself. So for those of you guys that don't know me, I'm Tarl Yarber. Uh, I run a company called Fixated Real Estate out of Seattle, Washington. And we live just outside of Seattle. We're not in the city. Uh, and the we've been doing mostly for most of my career since two, in real estate since 2011. We're doing single family fix and flip. Uh, we've done a little over 600 single family fix and flips in seven different states. Uh, most of it since 2014 have been in the Pacific Northwest area, including Seattle and Portland area. Uh, and over the last two years, two and a half years, been focused heavily on more of the single family rental market, doing something called the burst strategy, the buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. Uh, and all of that transitioned was I sold a ton of houses flipping and I go, wow, I shouldn't have sold all those houses flipping. How can I build wealth? Which we'll get into a little bit. Uh, and I just stopped selling the houses as much and keeping them more as rentals. So that's been a new phenomenon for us over the last few years. Uh, and then we also started a company that is called, it's fixated on real estate. It's a local meetup group that we have in Seattle, Washington. It's five different meetups. Uh, we get about 150 to 200 people per meetup every single month. It's basically taking over the RIAs in the group uh, in the Pacific Northwest. And we also do a once-a-year conference, which is in conflict right now uh, due to the quote-quote situation of the world. But the Pacific Northwest Big Badass Real Estate Wealth Expo, last year we had 1,000 real estate investors. It's heavily focused specifically on the investor market. Uh, and we do that out of Seattle, Washington. And we would have been doing it this year out of Seattle, Washington, but we are postponing it now to 2021 which I'm disappointed about. I was excited about that. But um, now you mentioned a few things. You, you've done crazy amount of flips. And when you got started, though, how did you get started? Like what drew you to real estate? And how did you get into fixing them up and flipping them? Well, I started in real estate just like everybody else. We wanted to make a difference in the world and change our community and fall in love with, you know, taking messed up houses and converting them into No, I'm lying about all that crap. <laughs> the we wanted to make money. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what it was. Like let's be honest, right? Money. So the uh, that's I mean like if you're not if that's why you're not initially getting into it, you know, it's it that's why most of us get into yes. it. We either fall into it in some capacity, maybe family, who knows, uh, or we read a book, listen to a seminar. Uh, we buy rich dad, poor dad, right? Or we do something and that gets us potentially into real estate. And for me, I grew up super, super broke, uh, out of Ratchet Cordova, California. Uh, and long story on that doesn't really matter, but I had a mission in my life when I left high school, which was, I don't want to be broke. Right. And so everything I did after that was how do I not be broke, which is a very different mentality from how do I become wealthy? And so I spent, that's been a recent revelation in my life of going, well, Maybe because I always flipped houses was because I wanted to generate a lot of revenue and a lot of income so I wasn't broke. But that wasn't generating a lot of assets and a lot of wealth in my life at the same time. So, size point. But I got started in real estate in 2005 uh, when I went to a seminar and back before the crash. uh, And I bought a seminar on wholesaling houses. And it was a seminar called How to Turn $10 into $10,000 in 30 Days or Less. I put it on an American Express charge card. uh, And I was like, I got 30 days to pay this thing. So I better, so that make $10,000 in 30 days or less better be legit, yeah. right? So I bought this whole seminar and I went to town. 
Uh, and I literally did everything that thing said to do. Uh, and I didn't make $10,000 in 30 days. <laughs> so, but by six months, I did. I had done three wholesale deals, and the third deal netted a $100,000 wholesale fee. Uh, and I had a partner on that, 60-40. We got 60 grand. I was 21 at the time, and can anybody guess how long 60 grand lasts a broke 21-year-old? But <laughs> not long. I bought a BMW. Right. Yes. I paid off my credit cards, uh, and I looked like I made a million dollars because I wanted people to think I did because I had an ego. Uh, self-esteem issue at the time and that lasted me about three four months <laughs> and so I was back at square one but didn't learn my lessons kept uh, you hungry yeah but really long story short I then actually got into financial services right yeah. so go figure being 21 year old kid and I'm broke and I'm going to teach you how to run your finances <laughs> so the uh, yeah I dropped out of college did that and the I ended up running a pretty successful financial brokerage over the years out of Sacramento California uh, and got it up to 76 licensed agents. And then it, at age 26, I had a uh, 26, 27, I had like a quarter life crisis and hated everything I did with it and left Sacramento, moved up to uh, Seattle and on a whim and then kind of stumbled back into real estate and went back to my roots saying, how did I get into business real estate? Maybe I should go try it out again. And um, the shorter version of that story was I got associated with some guys that were doing it. And then from 2011 to 2014, went to town on it with these two other dudes, uh, seven different states, flipped a bunch of houses. And then 2014, that business partner fell apart, started fixated real estate on my own in Seattle, and then been my own company since. So, Man, that's okay. So A lot of crazy stories. Yeah, in there. Trust I, that's me. Crazy. Trust me. There's a lot of stuff that happened. Uh-huh. That. <laughs> so. But it's interesting too, as, as far as around your experience with money and you know, one of the things that I find most interesting when talking with everybody is how much money is a mental game. And you can see, and when I look back and see my process of understanding, figuring it out, because money for some reason too is very emotionally driven, right? And especially when you're young, it was for me, I was very concerned about it and how people may have perceived me or whatnot, all those things, like exactly what you're talking about. Um, and then you talk about this transition to wealth, which then, because for me, it's like, it's, it's, it goes from an emotional transition to a logical understanding place, as well as experiences learned that show you, Hey, this isn't actually maybe the best way, right? Well, it's for me, (laughs) you know, for most people it is, but still it's a mental and emotional transition. It's not necessarily I think a lot of people see successful people or people that are doing all this stuff and they think they're apt to it or God-given or I don't know what, but it's not. It's it's a mental state and they're executing off that mental state. And uh, you went at it. I mean, you went right, you know, you're 21. You're like, I'm going to go. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm going out of high school. It's, yeah, yeah, there's more to it. But yeah, but for the... uh, what I found is like, so growing up over the years, I've fought, I'm 35 now, I have fought, and I still fight this, about this mental belief that I'm actually worth uh, worth as a human being to go make more money kind of a situation. Yes. Like, And there's, there's this mental barrier at times that I hit where I go thinking about going to the next level financially means people like me don't make that, right? People like me don't deserve that and and that comes from partially because my upbringing uh the environment i grew up in and and the people i hung out with for most of my younger life and the i don't associate with most of those people at all anymore but uh and which on a side note i learned uh not too long ago maybe 2010 that the most important thing that i can ever do is hang around with like-minded successful people and better people better than me i need to be a small fish in the pond. And I heard that for years or read that in personal development books. But until I lived it and all of a sudden look back, I go, that was the biggest factor in my entire life was being around people better than me, right? That I enjoyed being with, right? That's a big thing, right? And and that changed my entire world too. But besides the point, I remember being 20 years old and going, if man, if I could make 50 grand a year, I'd be set. Right, that's forty three hundred dollars a month. Right, like I'm making like eighteen hundred bucks a month right now. Right, I'm like that's in, and I'm struggling to do that. Right, at twenty, I'm like, 
that would be like life changing, right? I could save half of that and be good to go. And, but my belief of making that kind of money was like super limited. And then I finally make 50 grand a year, right? At one point. And then I go, okay, how do I make a hundred grand a year? But my brain was telling me like all these personal development books and everything else I was reading was just like, no, I need to up it. I need to make like half a million a year. And I would look at this half a million year number making 50 grand a year. And I'd be, and I would do everything I'm supposed to say. I'm like, okay, I'm believing it. I'm writing it down. If I have this business plan and this action plan, but I had no belief whatsoever that I can actually hit it. And, and it was okay when I didn't because eh, it was a big goal. I probably couldn't hit it anyways. And for me, coming from like my ceiling being so low and my belief being so low when I was younger, uh, that for me to go from just because that internal conflict in the time, all the time, staring at those numbers and those big goals and watching other people make tons of money and, uh, and being around it, my belief to not be able to do it myself, it didn't work for me to do the big goal. I had to go to the smaller incremental goals. And that's what changed my financial life when I started going, no, okay, instead of making half a million a year, right, and I'm at 50, let's see if I can get to 80, right, instead, because I can believe I can do that, but it's a stretch, right, and then eventually I make 80, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that wasn't that hard, I could totally make 250, right, and, but 500 sounds like a big number still, and I don't believe I could, but I believe I can make 250, because I can just do this, 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 and then you get to 200, right, and it's just, that took me many years, like many, many, many years of my of my working life, which I didn't go party or anything like that. Like I worked my ass off in my twenties, uh, to and worked on myself a lot. And now I'm at that point where I go, yeah, seven figures in a year or whatever. Like we can do that because I have that belief. And I didn't have if I would have started that 10, 15 years ago, there's no way in hell. Right. And so it's I wish it would have been faster, but it is a hundred percent for me, uh, it is a mental game. It was all a mental game. And it, it is for I, 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 at least I'm convinced it is for everybody. And I love what you said, because you read all these books and you read all these things and it's think big. And, you know, you hear people, you see them on social media. I'm proclaiming that I'm going to be a millionaire things like that. And I'm like, that's not how it works. It's just not. It's, it's, in fact, I think even more so when I did those things, it hurt me from the standpoint of, I'm saying this. I have no idea, first of all, what I'm doing. I have no idea path. And I'm saying instead of doing. Instead, I did the exact same thing like you. Let's just try to hit X. Because I know I'm making 50000 And so the means to making 60, 70, 80, whatever that may be, I can see that. And so then, if I don't make it, it's because I didn't execute. Billionaire? Well, no, apparently I need to win the lottery or something. There was just no context. We can go down a whole path, which I don't think we should do this on this part, about <laughs> like the whole, you'll never sell a book that says, you know, how to make a million, how to become a millionaire in 30 years, right? So yes. like, or like, yes. buy my seminar and I'll teach you how to build belief in yourself over a decade to finally make seven figures in a year. Like that's, that's not going to happen, Nobody's right? buying like, Nobody's that. buying that stuff, nope. right? So it's the, it's, but we all start at different levels, right? We have a mutual friend, Cole who uh, uh, he's 20, he just turned 22, right? But he grew up in an environment that his family's not well-to-do. They were just mentally different than the environment I grew up in, for sure. And he's already at that level of, yeah, seven figures, what's the big deal, right? He already has that belief at a young age. And because he was surrounded by like-minded, like people that are already growing businesses, his parents had him around people businesses. So he started at a, at a, at a level that I know I didn't have and that you didn't have. Uh, and the, that, so he's light years ahead, right? Yeah. In a sense, I had the drive and the ambition at his age, big time, right? Yeah. Like massive amount. I worked harder than anybody I know at my age at that time when I was 20 years old, 21, like taking massive risks and fear and everything to go through what I did back then. But I didn't have the belief that Cole has. I had the same work ethic though, but he had the belief and he's making way more than I did at his age yeah. because he has the work ethic and the belief. Right. And so how do you, I guess, I guess the mental game comes, but to, I, when I look at that scenario, I go, that's mental, right? He's, yes. he's not just doing the action. He also has the belief. I was doing the action. I didn't have the belief. Does yes. That no, that makes a right. hundred. Yeah. I, I could not agree more. It is, you're, you're right. It's a combination. It is, you know, mental and then work ethic. You see people that have the mental state, but they're not really going to do a whole lot or whatever, and that doesn't work. And then you see the other people that are extremely hard workers Right, but they don't seem to be going anywhere, and they've limited and capped themselves off. And I know for me, one of the things that 
I was in sales doing B2B sales, right? So I'm working with business owners and on C-level suites as we work selling health benefits and things like that. But the reason why that was important for me and enlightening is I just had a belief that you see people that are successful at their end. You don't see it at the first. Sorry. So when you see them there, you're like, wow, look what you've become. You've learned so much. You can do so much. Well, when I started working with all these businesses, I was working with people that had small businesses, mid-sized businesses, everything. And I started looking more and more going, how did you get successful? Or, wow, you're stumbling along here, but you're not like, it's, you know what I mean? I was, I was shocked by meeting those people and it put, it put that into context for me. So that changed my beliefs and go, oh, well, I can do that then. Where you're right, a lot of people don't have exposure to that. So it is it's something you read in a book or whatnot, which causes a huge strain in belief because it's like, oh, I'm saying this, but I have no context and no reality. So it's not actually true. But the minute you started changing who you hang around with and you see those people, you see the actions and you see what it goes and you see that those people are normal people just like you, it changes the context. I think that comes back to you because you can have somebody, I just want to throw this out there, you can there are definitely people out there that have horrible environments around no like-minded people that want to grow and build themselves, but they're still able to build the belief in themselves that yes. they can do that. 100%. I was not one of those people. <laughs> so yeah, for, I don't think I was. Either. I had to start, I had to remove myself from that environment. I had to go, it took me a lot of years to start building that belief. But there's like, if you are the type of person that can build that, you already have that in you. You already believe that you can be successful. You already believe you deserve to make X amount. You believe that you can follow whatever financial plan that you're going to build for yourself or start a business and you don't need others around you to support you. Then like freaking awesome. Like go kill it, kill it, right? get to work, go out to there work. just right? slaughter it. And then, and continuously build that proven track record and believe that you can do it. Right. As long as you're not being naive about it, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah, 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 yeah. Point. but anyways, I don't know how long we want to keep talking about that. No, it's just that that's a great point, and I love that you bring it up because we're talking about that transition. But let's let's dive back into your real estate. And you said you met when you moved to Seattle. You met a few people, and you started doing flips. Were these flips? I know you did it in multi states. Did you start out in your neighborhood, so to speak, like in your radius? <laughs> no, you didn't. Okay. No, so. Uh... But Jesus, all right. The short story is when. Sorry, there's a lot of intertwining yeah. stories with all this stuff, and it's weird how this all works. But no, so my buddies were out of Arizona, and so the guys that we met, and they had a contract with Fannie Mae to do was something called service area management. Which so this is during REO, so foreclosures everywhere, right? Fannie Mae's foreclosing on everybody, Freddie Mac's foreclosing, Wells Fargo, you know, uh, HUD, everybody, Aquin. They're all just, there's just foreclosures everywhere, right? The deal was easy to find, and at the time, the money wasn't, right? So they had a contract with Fannie Mae to do their, before Fannie Mae would put a house on the market, they'd do some fixing up, right? They figured out that they can get a little bit more money out of it uh, if they make it the health and safety standards of the house, allowing for people to be able to get an FHA loan or a Fannie Freddie loan or some sort of stuff on it instead of just leaving it to investors all the time torn up. So the cabinets were messed up. They wouldn't replace all the cabinets. They would fix the broken ones. Or they would, if there was a stove missing, they put a stove in it. If the door handles were messed up. So they'd do enough to where it would qualify for a loan. But you had to be an approved contractor to do that. And that was called a service area manager. They typically had anywhere between two to five approved general contractors in any county uh, across the US. Right? These guys had a contract uh, for Maricopa County in Arizona. And I became part of that, and then the and then we ended up growing that into the seven states using Fannie Mae to push us to all these different states, and where and I became part owner of that entire company. But through that, right, we then went let's start flipping houses with this. <laughs> so we built this huge network with contractors and realtors and all this stuff because we became just connected with all these people, uh, and me specifically. I was the only single person. I didn't have kids, right? And so I opened up all the markets, right? So I would fly out. So I personally had these contacts. I personally would fly out and recruit all the contractors and recruit all the realtors that would assign us the properties from Fannie Mae. And these were all the REO realtors that had 100, 200 houses in their uh, uh, listing database with Fannie Mae or other banks that they couldn't even list yet because Fannie Mae might only allow them to list 20 at a time or 15 at a time. And, and I built all the relationships and I had all these, I had spreadsheets on everybody. I know their dogs' names, like all this stuff. Like I was a networker, so that's what I did. And we're looking at this thing and we go like, all right, let's flip some houses. And so there's 
more complicated story to how we generated some of these REO properties to our to our business, um, but we kind of fell into it using the network that we that I had developed through Fannie Mae. So we didn't buy one house, right? We bought like six, right? So we buy six in Arizona, then we buy a bunch of Chicago, then we started buying a bunch, some in Virginia, and then we started in Arizona, and then like like in each market we'd open up, we eventually, I was in New Jersey opening up market, we started looking at that, uh, and we just started using the same contractors we were using for Fannie Mae that then go flip a house for us instead, right? Using the same realtors that we're already used to, so this is where my systems brain kind of started coming in, these Fannie Mae realtors were already used to maintaining 100 properties for Fannie Mae because those realtors, even though they were getting the listings, they still had to maintain the properties. They had to coordinate the lawn maintenance. They had to coordinate the rekeys. They knew how to like evaluate these properties super fast. And they had the they had the systems for it, and they didn't want three percent commission. They were used to already getting two percent from Fannie Mae, right? So like so we leveraged the heck out of those relationships so we can go get ten houses, twenty houses sent to us that in a market to evaluate, and I can get a BPO on all a broker price opinion, sorry, uh, on all 10 to 15 or 20 houses in that market from our three or four or five or 20 realtors that we know within a matter of like two days. And all of a sudden I get these full on pictures, everything, because these REO agents were already used to doing that for the banks. Then they just started doing it for us because we had a relationship. So I had this whole system and we just kept doing it over and over again. And that's kind of how we got started in flipping houses. So the there's a lot more to it, but that led to us doing more volume. Uh, we had to raise capital and then- so you, and- you didn't know how to do this. So you're nope. just figuring it out as you go. figuring it out. And I gave away a ton of profit, ton of equity. I didn't know. We just had we just had access to stuff. Um, we we sometimes had only make twenty percent of the deal, and the and we were just like slinging them. I guess for lack of a better word. And that got busy, but it did develop a ton of systems when you're running you know fifty houses at once or whatever and multiple markets how to figure out how to QC these things, how to make sure that the realtors knew what was going on, that the contractors knew what to do for their scopes of work. But all that came from running houses with Fannie Mae and how they ran their systems. We developed our systems and then we started transferring those over to the real estate business system. And then, so that's kind of how I stumbled into it. So now you're doing, you, you're, you're flipping homes and you're doing the whole process through you and your company and your teams. How do you find your deals now? Because obviously those things aren't happening. In the world. No, so we don't. So, so just to put a bow on that story, 2014, all that stopped. So REO started going away anyways uh, by then. And my money does funny things to people. Like, so uh, I think money makes good people better and bad people worse. Uh, I had certain business partners, one of them in particular, that money accentuated his incredibly bad nature that was not there um, prior to us making it. And it got pretty nasty and ugly. And for me, I'm about relationships, no drama, right? Yes. And and I'm looking at this from, I live in Seattle, they lived in Arizona, I'm not around them, it was so much drama, so much headache, it was just getting nasty. And I don't wanna spill dirty, you know, uh, about what happened, but I got out, right? I'm like, I'm out, right? So February, 2014, but I was the one that built all the relationships. I was the one that had all the connections, right? And I'm the one that knew how to find everything, right? So I took that away from the business. And the and I didn't want to do real estate ever again. So I ended up spending six months doing nothing but travel and playing video games. <laughs> so, <laughs> and the that I got suckered back into it to find off market properties locally in Seattle. And the and I just kind of started doing that through off market business, sending letters to direct mail or letters to um residents in the Seattle market. And I'm like, we already had the systems. We already had everything we did. It was like me flipping a switch again to get it back started. And so, um, and by then I already knew how to raise capital. By then I knew how to keep the deal for myself. And then we went, just started flipping tons of houses into the Seattle market. You're, you have these different stages, which th for me, this is the most interesting thing about real estate investing and, and entrepreneurship. Because when you look at it from the outside, and I remember being you know, young and, and impressionable and seeing people on these journeys. And as you're going through, we talked about this the other day, but a W-2 is like a veil, right? Because how capital works with the, the relationship between employers and W-2s, as opposed to actual the creation of capital and getting it yourself, outlining expenses, putting things together, all that, because you're shielded from that, a lot of times you're not able, you have no context for how these things are done. And you, I think there's narratives on how these things are done, which are not true. And if you, you like, 
what you, you're showing you're doing. There's stages. You've learned certain things. You moved on. It doesn't even mean that it were, they were successful. They had to end, right? And you moved on and changed. Every time, though, learning, putting yourself in a better position. And so getting to where it's now, it's, an, it's a cascade of events that lead you to here that will also change your uh, trajectory to moving forward. And real estate is so interesting because it's like leverage, not only in capital, right? Relationships, everything else. Um, and has this weird effect over time because of appreciation and just how all of these things work that puts you in a either really good spot, like you mentioned, or a really bad spot. And now you're in a spot where you control the deals, right? You control all the systems. It's your company. It's your employees. You, I mean, how many flips have you done? 600. Hey, that just blows my mind away. You've nobody's got, counting though. Okay, nobody's counting. Yeah. <laughs> you've got it down, right? And so you've created to be able to do that. You didn't start that way. You had to create and go through all these things to make it. So I want to, I want to transition into this though, for in a sense that I, I don't know if, if anybody listening to this is this way, but like, I personally never liked to compare myself to other people and what they were doing in the business. And I, but I know other people were comparing, looking at what we were doing against themselves at times. And when we were, when we were doing 20, 30, 40 deals at a time, um, it's easy to look on the outside and look in going, those guys are making bank, yeah. right? And they're just making a ton, yeah. right? Well, there's three of us in the in the business, equal partners, right? Yeah. So so you look at Tarl, right, making 33%. However, some of those deals, we're only getting 20% of a net yeah. on a house that maybe is making 20 grand total. Yeah. So that means like as a company, we're bringing in four grand and then I'm getting a 33% of that, yeah. right? So. Never get impressed by people's volume, yes. right? That's what I want to say out there. When you see when you see people on Instagram or whatever yeah. saying like, oh, "I flipped three hundred houses," whatever, like, okay, how much did they actually make? How much yes. did they keep? What did they do with it? Like that stuff that like I was more impressed in, and the and we did a lot of volume, but that doesn't mean I made a ton of money personally during that time period, yeah. right? Yeah. And I worked my ass off, yes, but like I personally made yes, I made money, I made a lot of money, but nowhere near as what maybe people thought it was, right? Yeah. As all about perception wise. And then the, but what I learned through all that and even running our own business uh, later down the line with no business partners from tw in 2016, sorry, in 2015, I made a decision that I'm only going to do one thing. I'm going to do it really, 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 really well. I'm going to flip houses in the Puget Sound area and we're going to buy houses that do at least a 15% cash on cash return. It's no, it's going to be in King County, Pierce County and Portland, right? So Portland, Oregon. Uh, and you cannot, we're not going to do any additions, right? It's all going to be within the single foot, the footprint of the property. And as long as it's in those geographic areas and it hits 15% plus cash on cash return and it, we don't have to do any additions. I'm buying the house, right? Period. And that, and all I, that's all I did. And it was my bread and butter, right? 2015, 2016, 2017. And I made more money than I ever made ever during in my entire life prior when we just focused on that niche, right? However, I just want to throw this in 2016. It was me and three other people. I'm sorry, me and two other people on my team. We were doing that with three people, right? So we did 38 houses in 2016 in the Puget Sound area, uh, and you know you, we grossed seven figures, uh, gross seven figure uh, profit before paying out my 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 salaries and stuff like that to my team, and we were making a bunch of money, right? So we said, let's take it up to another level. <laughs> and so we started doing bigger projects, right? We started doing bigger houses. We started doing, we went from a $100,000 remodel to a $300,000 remodel. And we would started doing more deals, right? And I brought in more staff and I brought in more overhead, right? We worked harder in 2017 than I ever worked before. We did more production. We did more volume. We grossed uh, profit more, but my personal net was the same. And I worked my ass off in 2017 building what we built, but our overhead went so much more higher and our stress level went so much higher and I made the same amount of money, right? And I'm like, why are we doing this, right? And so, and then I didn't have any, I didn't have any rentals. We still flipped. I only had my revenue that we made and my, my net income that yeah. I personally made. I wasn't building any and wealth in my so, life. So yeah, because you were flipping, then you ended the year at the same place you started, but your work doubled. Personally. Yeah. It's because it, you weren't holding, it wasn't accruing. It wasn't building. It was next year, you had to do the same thing. 
because it was, we're working for commission. Yep. <laughs> Let's just yep. put it that way. Like yeah. when you're flipping houses, yeah. now you can build a lot of revenue. You can build a lot of income flipping houses. And I learned a tremendous amount about business systems, construction, uh, finding, sourcing properties, real estate, all that kind of stuff through flipping lots of houses. Um, but I wasn't building any real wealth, even though we were making high income. And so the, because in a business, like you have self-storage business, yes, you put a lot of effort into finding the property, you've put a lot of effort into building up the asset, but then it continues to build up. And that, that, that asset stays on your balance sheet as you go, yes. right? Yes. And so I didn't, every year I'm resetting my balance sheet for the most part, unless I didn't sell the house yet, yep. right? Because it was flipping. And so we weren't, and we might be raising our bank accounts, but I'll be honest with you, like a lot of house flippers that I know um, aren't the best at their finances because they're used to making tons of money and spending it or reinvesting it in properties and they yep. just keep going or buying more overhead, getting more, you know, or sorry, creating more overhead to keep to feed the machine. And they're flipping houses just to feed the machine yep. versus actually building wealth for themselves. And so it was a huge wake up call for me and my wife in 2017, where at the end of 2017, October, when I'm realizing all this, I'm like, we're not doing, we had, by then we had three rentals. <laughs> so we kept three houses out of 600 yep. or by then 500 and something or whatever. But, uh, uh, out of all those houses, I had three rentals, right? And the uh, and they were great. They're great three rentals, but that's all I had. That's all I had to show, right? Uh, and a lot of stress, a lot of overhead, and I um, probably lost ten years out of my life. I don't know, but the and we weren't spending time together. We weren't we weren't living to like we weren't living the lives we wanted. Yes. And so we made a decision at the end of 2017 that we weren't going to live that way anymore. We felt that it was more important for us to build wealth and passive income for us as a family. It was more important for her and I to be together every single day together uh, instead of trying to work our asses off on a business that we didn't like. Uh, and so we reduced our staff dramatically. We really narrowed down our niche for what we were going to buy in. And then we said we're going to keep every single project we ever do as long as it hits these numbers. And we're still going to stay in single family, right? And then we're going to travel the rest of the time. So in 2018 and 2019, my wife and I traveled 229 days together for funsies and while still running our business and our lot, even though we're making less revenue than we've done before, we're in tremendously happier, but our asset portfolio has grown way more because we're keeping more projects and we're so building more traveling wealth. more. You're worth more. You're still yep. making money. Correct. But ego wise, I'm jumping around a lot for people for listening, but one thing that happened during that time period, though, is that when you're flipping lots of houses, your tax return, when you're doing your tax returns for your, your filings, shows a very high income, right? Yes. When you start keeping these assets, your income drops, Yes. right? Uh -huh. And so I thought we were doing something wrong, right, when I saw my income drop dramatically yeah. from 2017 to 2018 because we started keeping these rentals, right, and started doing less projects. But my balance sheet went up quite a lot, yes. right? And the and same with 2019 as it went, too. So... If you have an ego like I do, right, where my scoreboard is my income, yeah. right, because of trying not to be broke. I had to fight that, right, at the end of 2018 when I started realizing this, where I still had this issue that I felt like I was failing financially because my income dropped. Because yeah. I did wasn't I wasn't educated enough in finances to realize that that was not true. So yeah. No, no, that <laughs> it makes complete sense. And there's not one person listening to this that can't relate to this because we all have egos. We are all tied in some way, shape, or form. If it's not money, it's not your scoreboard. It's something else, right? And we see it through the society. What matters? What doesn't matter? And when you look at your path, um, it's just so resemblance of my path. Everything from I was making commissions, I was making tons of cash, but the next year I had to go do the same thing. And if I didn't, it was gone. And then to I started a real estate company, and I'm years into working my two jobs and starting my real estate company and going, I'm still making the flipping same amount of money. I'm screwing up big time. Like, same thing. I'm like, I screwed the pooch. What am I doing? And that didn't pay off for years later. Then it was, no, my wealth has skyrocketed. My income's gone up. And now I've got way more free time and ability, all that kind of stuff, right? But there's... It's a weird transition when you're looking at because of how economics perform. You can either you know, like the higher returns or the higher cash flow it is, right? Usually, the less wealth you can make and the less of building it's because how you, how are you taking it? Are you taking it out of the house today, or are you leaving it in there and taking small amount, you know, moving forward? And that can be a shock to the system. Was to me. <laughs> and just like people that have a yeah. W two, when they want to go to investing, when they want to go to business. And all of a sudden, there's no more steady income. That's a shock to the system. 
And then they feel like I have done something very, very stupid. And what am I doing? And maybe you did. <laughs> but I, I think that that's just such a good thing to understand that, and you have to see it is what you're building and how it'll perform once again over the long time, because now you build an asset base, which gives you more capital, right? To draw upon it, your balance sheets up, you're worth more, you look better to the bank, it starts to open up other opportunities, you can travel more because you have set cash flow passive coming in. Now opportunities are unlimited. And that's what happened to me is once my wealth got to a certain point, and my cash flow from that wealth came in, it paid my bills plus paid profit. Now I was like, I don't have to work. So what I gained, instead of in a higher income, was higher time. And then the time created opportunity. Now I could do things that I'm really interested. Now I can work on other things in the business. Now I can do. And then once I started doing that, then my income started to even follow that. Um, but it, it's, it is, it's a progression that you have to go through. Now, how many doors do you got now? You started at three, now you're at. So we scaled back, right? Yes. My wife and I do not do 40 plus flips a year, right? Yeah. Don't. Sounds gross to me. Yeah. Right. The, we live the lives we want to live together. Right. Yes. We found that, and this is something that took a lot of energy out of me going back to the ego side, right? And that's like, I'm supposed to go make produce. I'm supposed to produce the only way I am winning. The only way that society says I am successful is if I am making more than I did last year or building a business bigger than I did before, right? Yes. Or in some capacity. And we woke up going like, that's bullshit. Like, like I define what that is, right? My wife and I define what that is. We spent, so in October, 2017, we spent, uh, three or four weekends, three weekends straight with big, huge butcher paper out, right? The big easels. And we started literally designing how we want to make our money, where we want to travel, what we want to do, how do we want to spend our time? Like, who do we want to be with? What do we want? Like, and we wrote it all out and we did everything on that list. Now we're like shit. We need to make another list. We didn't make a lot. We only made a two-year plan. <laughs> so, yes. like, and, uh, and I'm not joking about that. But like, 2020 rolls around, and we're like, oh man, we need to do that again. But <laughs> the yeah. and then all this crap happened. But whatever. But what I had to accept, my life became a hell of a lot stressful. Le- sorry, less stressful when I was like, okay, just going like, no, I I'm gonna make X right, which is a very s- super solid six figures, right? And we're gonna build our assets up. And we're going to do far less projects. At any time prior to 2017, we had at any time 17 active single-family rehabs going on at any one time ever, right? Minimum. And so and you're talking projects that are between $60,000 and $300,000 in rehab budgets, right? And in and you're talking 100-year-old houses in Seattle, right? Yes. These are not easy rehabs. And to going, we will never do more than eight at a time, right? We went, we cut that in half. And then now we're like, okay, no more than 10. But the – but. We, in the last two years, we never had more than 10, but our goal is no more than eight at a time. So we pretty much cut our production down in half. We decided that we weren't going to do rehabs for more than $120,000 ever, right? And we started doing more partnerships with people and some other aspects to reduce stress for us using the systems we created so that we can go travel. If I, if I couldn't do my business from my phone, then we weren't going to add it to the business. Yeah. So that was our big business mantra. So we were able to travel. You know, we you know, spent two weeks in Japan uh, snowboarding and stuff like that. While I'm on the slope... Look at my Asana, we use Asana, uh, and Dropbox. See a few things on there. Answer a few questions through our project management system, Asana. And and then go back to snowboarding, right? And drink a bunch of sake in Japan and hang out with people, whatever. <laughs> like, and it's like doing that kind of a lifestyle was what was way more valuable to me than saying that I did 50 flips this year instead of 40 like I did last year, right? And the Or I made I, I made another six figures or whatever than I did previously. Like that, I'm like, what? Are, what, are, what are, personally, because I grew up so broke, I I didn't do anything with that money anyways. Like I literally like I we would travel with it already. So like so we weren't the type that needed to go buy the Ferrari, right? Yeah. Needed to go do all that stuff. And and if you are, freaking go do it, right? We have I have close friends that love that stuff, yeah. and they go and they go do it, and they yeah. that's why they build big business, build build big big businesses, and why they're driven to do that. I guess I'm not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the well, and this is an important point that I want to touch on because freedom right, is not the same to everyone. 
and there we feel like in investment books and you stuff you you have these narratives right of what freedom is and a lot of times we superimpose those narratives onto our lives i know that i i did all, all the times especially through my 20s trying to figure out exactly where i'm going to go and that superimposing of the freedom leads to uh, or idea of what your life should be and how you'll be happy leads to actions only to find out that it's not. And then that's super confusing, right? And for me, the same, just like you, I was never, I never wanted the Ferrari, things like that. I didn't want to be flashy. I love business. Like I love economics. I love, I, you know, I have a problem where I love working and I think it's fun, right? And it's, it's building and things like that. Um, and I always wanted to have the freedom to work, but I needed the freedom to do it in my way. I needed the freedom. I couldn't be strapped by certain tasks. I needed to be able to be mobile. Hey, if I want to do this project, I need to do it. I had to create a system in my life to allow me to be able to do projects and then move on. And that made, that made me happy, right? Whereas other people, and I have friends that it's like, everything that I just described is so stressful for them, they couldn't even see straight. Their freedom to me is consistency. They're like, freedom to me is... Stability, security, those kind of things, and those are that's that's the opposite of freedom to me. Um, uh, but understanding that allows you to create a path to it. And when you're dealing with real estate investing, things like that, there are so many ways to skin a cat. It's just the best way for you. Yes, and that's and I love that because so when I was a financial planner, there was a question to get a gauge for the husband and wife that I was dealing with. I'd always ask the same question. I'd be like. What do you gravitate more towards financial freedom or financial security? Right? Like it was uh, like what ignited them with more excitement for the most part, right? And and that told me a lot about their mental state when it came to money and what they what was more important to them. And you know, if one spouse was like, well, financial security, right? So we could build that up, and the other spouse was like, financial freedom, right? Yeah, so yeah. then those that's different. Those yes. are different things, right? It might lead to the same path, but like maybe they're going to take a different. Sorry, it might be, lead to the same destination, but be a different path to get there in some capacity. Uh, and but when you're, if you ask that question for yourself, right, when it comes to real estate investing and you go financial freedom, right, well, maybe you can be a little bit, in my opinion, more aggressive and you go um, quit your job, go do whatever, like do what you need to do there. But if you're, but there's tons of people that invest in real estate that invest incredibly wisely, build huge wealth, doing their W-2 job, yep. keeping that, having that security, having that nest egg, having that uh, income coming in, and then they go buy a couple of rentals, and then they, or they go invest in a syndication, or they go uh, invest passively somewhere else with the income that they earn in their job, or they flip a house on the side that they then put into a rental. Like, they're not going to go do 20 projects at once. Yeah. They're not going to go, you know, do a whole 20 lot development, right? That's yeah. maybe later after they've built that up while they're keeping their job. I, I know lots of people that do it that I way. I did that. Yeah. I had my job. I worked for this huge, massive company based out of Chicago while we were building our real estate up. I have four kids. I needed health insurance. I needed a base income until we could make that go. In fact, I never actually quit my job to be an entrepreneur. No, I just was became paralyzed, right? As everybody knows in the podcast, that's how my job ended. It was not that I left. And so when that happened, I still wasn't at a place where I was ready to make that move. And I, I think there is a misnomer about that. And you're right. Like that's totally doable and you can do that in real estate. And that's the beauty, beauty of real estate, right? It's one of those few asset classes or business that you can kind of have your cake and eat it too. If you want to keep your job, keep your health benefits, but you want to create wealth and eventually get to financial freedom, but it, it, you can't make that move until it's already there, until you have a guaranteed, right? You can do that. It may not be in the way somebody's telling you to, but you can format real estate to achieve that goal, right? You just have to learn more so you can format it, format it to your goals as opposed to the opposite changing your comfort and goals and format it to a certain type of investing. That doesn't work. Well, I, I tell people you need, to summarize kind of what you're also saying too, is that you need three things to do a real estate deal, right? You need time, money, and expertise. You don't have to have all three of those, no. but you need all three of those in a deal. And yes. so you can, if you have the money, maybe because you have, or maybe you, Maybe you just got good finances and you can qualify for the loan or something like that or whatever. But somebody else has the time and expertise to run the deal. And or if you have the time but you don't have the money expertise. Like there's you can 
cut it up any way you really want to to make a deal work. But you need those three components. You just don't have to have all three yourself. So exactly. No, I I love that, and I think this this understanding of that too opens up a lot of doors for people that want access, and it gets rid of a lot of those limiting beliefs that say I can't do this. Well, hold on, it, you don't and. And when I look at it, it, it goes back down to this mental game. When I'm younger, thinking, looking at those people saying, I'm not that person. I can't do that. Well, of course, and that's true. You can't do exactly what they did because you're not that person. But when you're looking at them, that success or whatever that you may want out of that piece, yes, you can have that and you can do it in your way. You don't need to compare yourself and follow directly and adapt someone's investing tactics. No. Like you said, compare yourself to your situation, look at what you want, what you need, and then design a path that is based upon your opportunities and maybe your desires, right, that you need. And you can then you go down the path, not the other way around. Like when I think about how I got started seriously in real estate, which was 2011, um, I my background was financial services. I understood the numbers. I understood all that stuff, right? But I didn't understand real estate. Yes. But through being, I was running a financial services business. You're technically also running a sales business. That's what you're really yep. doing, right? Yep. So I understood sales. I understood people, right? I understood networking. I understood how to communicate. I understood how to read people. I knew how to build relationships. That's what I was really good at. I didn't know anything about construction. I didn't know how to do a BPO. I didn't know how to do figure out what after repair value was on something. I didn't know how much money should cost when you get a hard money loan. Like I didn't even know what that was actually at the time. I didn't know how to find the properties. I didn't know any of this stuff. But I had a business partner that used to be a builder. He knew the construction really, really, really well, right? So I'm like, cool. I don't need to think about that at all, right? And I had another business partner that had the connections with Fannie Mae and which got us the contracts so that I can go fly around to go meet realtors and build my relationships. The realtor knew the deal, right? And then why not get three realtors to look at the same deal? And if they all say it's the same thing, then maybe I'll believe them. So uh, if they're all completely different, then there's something wrong, right? So I did now just check some balances by using other people. And then my business partner who had the construction background figured out the construction part, right? I would literally walk in a house and let the realtor and the contractors talk to each other. And I'd play on my phone in the corner and not even look at the property. Other than to take a bunch of photos, and so, which is part of our system, and then that would all get sent back in Dropbox, and my business partner would look at the construction if he agreed with all of it, and then three different <laughs> realtors agreed to the same price, and they were like, "Cool, we're buying it." Right? I didn't have any. What was my experience in that? Yeah. My experience was people. That was it. Yeah. And but I look at that past situation of 2011, 2012, is that I learned the other components of the business really, really, really well to where, yes, now I do have all the components of real estate now. But but I look what you do, though, AJ, is self-storage, right? I don't know shit about that, right? So, like, so I'd have to hang around you and I'd have to you know help you in some way and like and learn what you're doing. And then and then I have to start the process over, right? But from past experience, I may be able to go through it faster than I did my first time going through it. So I guess all I can say, I don't know why how we got on these topics, to be honest with you, but uh, the... Uh, Depending on where you are today, it might take you longer to get your first real experience, right? Yes. But once you've had a few of those real experiences, if you want to get to the next level in real estate, you'll ha- you'll do it faster, right, than you yes. did on your first time, yes. right? And so because you understand the fundamentals by then, and but we all have to start somewhere with it, and you know it it reminds me too of something that I just firmly believe that people that are successful in any kind of you know most endeavors in life, period, but especially economic and business and everything, the the key unifying factor, everybody's past different goals, different, is leverage and not just capital. I mean, you leverage people, you leverage um, your knowledge, you leverage your time, you leverage your money, you leverage all these things. And the reason why that's important is because no, no one has all those things. When they're starting, nobody has all those things. So if you're not leveraging those things, all you see is a bunch of holes of things you don't have and why you can't do them. That's okay. You don't need to. You can sit in the house and play on the phone as long as you have partners that know what they're doing, right? And when I and I think when me, when I realized that the sky became the limit, because then it was all of a sudden, oh, phew, it was like a weight off my back. I don't have to know these things. I can fill these holes with, you know, other things. Now, yes, you have to give something up, right? So I had to have somebody that needed to help 
me with this. And I had to fill that in with, okay, you get a piece of the pie now. You get equity. You get these things, right? And now as I've gotten better, like we've been talking about over the last two days, now I'm just internalizing all those things, and I'm going to do it all now because I can. But that is definitely not, not how we started. started. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's an evolution process. And I, uh, your example is perfect in it and how, and how to get started. I like what you said about the leverage because depending on where you are in your business. So some of you guys might be knee-deep in real estate, neck-deep in real estate already, right? A common question I get from people that are in single family at least, uh, real estate investing, is how do I scale, right? How do I scale up? And the key is something that you said, AJ, which is leverage. And but leverage in more than just like one asset, one capacity, right? You got to leverage multiple different things before you can bring it all in house in some way. And even us internally, like if I had to put all my money, if I had to just on a financial level, like on a money level, the like cash, right? In my market, the average single family home, right, in in our market is going to be right around between, and I mean like crappy, like not fixed up, done house. It's going to be between four to five hundred thousand dollars. Fix it up, maybe it's worth seven hundred, eight hundred thousand, right? Depending on some other core parts of downtown Seattle, right? Maybe not right now, but <laughs> some other core parts of downtown Seattle, yeah, you might buy a falling over house for seven hundred, eight hundred grand, and maybe worth one point four, one point six later, right? So, uh, how many of those could I buy if I don't borrow money from banks, right, or borrow money from hard money lenders, right? So even if I, even if they're all half a million or three fifty or whatever, right, yeah. and I had to put construction into them, a hundred grand or whatever, how many of that could I do unless I leverage money from other people. And I've heard this from other people like, man, I have to pay so much in fees. I have to pay points. I have to pay interest, right? Like, yeah, but you only do one deal, right? Yep. If you don't do that. And so the, so your cash, your cash return might be less when you're doing it, when you're leveraging it from a bank, as far as what you actually get in dollars back, but your real ROI, because a lot, you're putting less money out personally, right? So case in point, uh, if you have, actually numbers are really hard verbally. So maybe we should do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm not going to do down the path. But basically, yeah, leveraging, you know, borrowing money from others, uh, partnering with other people, even sharing equity with other people and giving equity away so that they pay for part of the deal so you have less into it opens up the market for you to do more deals, right? You might be doing more work though, right? But if that is the easy part for you, then you can make more money, right? So it depends on what you do. And that's so. a perfect example too, everybody, of your value that you bring to the table, when I got started out in sales, right, the value that I brought to the table was not knowledge. The value that I brought to the table was, hey, I'll call a thousand people today. And then after I get done with that, I'm going to go knock 500 business doors, right? The guys that had all the knowledge and experience and were successful were never going to do that, right? It wasn't, they got no ROI on that. But I, I couldn't leverage my knowledge. I couldn't leverage those things because I didn't have it. So the only thing I had was I could be real annoying and I could work 24-7. And so I used what I had and leveraged that. And then when I got something, I had to bring the guy in with knowledge. Then I had to split the deal evenly with that guy. And he did nothing but show up. And if I said, that's not fair, I'm not going to do that, then I would have never sold Anything. Anything. <laughs> yeah. And I would have never moved forward because I realized I don't have that value and they've earned it. So they get it. And that is, you know, what though the ROI that I got was not just capital. Like you just said, the true ROI and what I realized really early on that I'm getting is the knowledge because after I got the first deal, the second deal was easier. And that's how storage was. The first deal we didn't really make any money. In fact, I sold it for 20,000 less than we'd bought it for. Now I had made um, income off it and paid down debt. But the next deal that we did, we made a million dollars off of. If we would have stopped at that first deal, we would have lost what our real ROI was, knowledge. That deal showed us where opportunity was. That deal led us to find the second deal, right? The second deal happened because of the first one, right? It's not the other way around. It's like, ah, oh, I wish I would have done that deal first. No, it happened because the ROI that I got off the first deal was knowledge. And then that scales quickly. And then eventually your knowledge is so good, you can leverage that. And this is a process that a lot of people don't want to go through, or they expect that they should be doing like the 600 deals or whatever, and it should be all them and they don't want to split it this year. And that's just not how it works. 
That sucks, I know. <laughs> yes, everybody's like, this is not what oh, we wanted fun. to hear. Like you said, nobody sells a book that says, <laughs> you know. <laughs> How to become financially yes. successful in 30 years or less. Yeah, so. Exactly, it just doesn't what? happen. Now, let me ask you this question. All right, so we've covered all this stuff, the path, and this is, you know, this is great. I love hearing this stuff, and I love talking about it. And and most real estate or successful people, they always go back down to that, like the work or the hard thing, because they see that that's the value and that's what they want to talk to people about. It's like, no, this was the real value, right? But where are you going from here? Like, what's your life look look like here? And this is obviously the tough question, (laughs) but in real estate and two, also, where do you see in general markets and opportunity? That's a good question. So... Um, well, we're going for like right now we've taken the last, so right now this is June 13th, 2020. Uh, and for those of you guys that don't know, the last few months have been a little weird, right? Crazy. World lost their mind. World lost their mind. And so, uh, no different for us, but it did put us, it wasn't, it put us on a hold on our part for, for a little bit, not because like the market scared me or anything like that. It just made me go like, what? do I do? <laughs> like, so like, what's the right direction? And there's been a lot of people in real estate that are in that yes. level right now. Now I will tell you in my market, um, and I do a lot of stuff South of Seattle in an area called Tacoma where every house we put on the market sells like way over asking super fast. And it's very easy for me to look at going like nothing wrong with the real estate market here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, there's also no supply. Right. <laughs> so like at all and interest rates are super low. Uh, a lot of people aren't selling their houses because they don't know what to do. So it creates this like extreme lack of supply, at least in my in my particular market. Wherever you are, could be different. I don't know. So the and so that gives me on one side confidence where I go, all right, we should be buying more then, right? And but nobody else is selling their houses now. So even as a buyer trying to buy houses off market, that's less because a lot of people are sitting looking at what to do because they're afraid to move too, right? So that now is creating a challenge for us to be able to generate the type of um, deal flow that we're used to getting right now. So uh, so we got that component. Then we have our events business that we run, which has been completely put on hold because of regulation. And we've had to switch it more to an online aspect. And we've been doing webinars, bringing like a thousand people on those every two weeks, which has been cool. Uh, and the but even then, that's just to fill a void that we've been going through right now. So it's like, what else do we do, right? So I'm in a position now where I think some of the value is in real estate is that whether inflation happens, whether you know economic issues continue to happen, whether unemployment continues to happen and stuff like that, I think real estate is still going to be a really good place, right? And the uh, amount of money we're printing creates a lot of inflation, right? Potentially, right? And probably more than likely, uh, that actually creates an increase in hard assets, like as far as what they're worth, right? So I'm like, all right, so do I sell? Because I've thought about selling a bunch of my portfolio or whatever too. And I'm like, well, actually, if inflation happens, this goes on, those might be worth a lot more and I might regret selling them now. So the, dude, all I'm saying right now with what I'm going is like, I'm going in circles on a bunch of stuff, right? And I am looking at how do I, I don't really know what to do, dude. Like I'm, maybe I'm like other people listening and I can keep, I can keep sounding smart like right now, right? But I don't feel that way right now. Yeah. I feel a little stuck, right? I feel like I have to pick a decision. I have to make a decision. Yeah. I have to pick a hole and fill it. I have to go do something, right? Yeah. And and this limbo that I feel right now isn't doing my psyche very well, my business very well, or my employees very well. Like none of them are like, all of them are like, what do we do? And I'm like, good question. So, uh, and I don't know what to do. Yeah. Right. To be honest, just to be and honest, that's, that's okay. Yeah. I, you know, it's. Do I have to do anything? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you do you? Then that's a good question. It's 2020. Everybody's asking the same question. And you know, for me, I just got done asking that question just a few months ago. And I'd been asking myself that question for a long time. In fact, me and my partners have had endless discussions. And it, they, I think that's an interesting, for those of you that are reading a book, trying to figure it out, right? It doesn't, it, you're just, it's not really going to just come to you. It's going to be hints and things, and then you kind of got to move forward. For our business, where you know we were forever, had been just me and my partners, nothing else, right? And we didn't have outside investors, we didn't have anybody else. And with everything that has been happening in the world and how prices have been going up and everything, we thought we need to change what we're doing. We didn't know how, and we had to start figuring out, and which eventually led to me creating Cedar Creek Wealth, which will start to actually allow investors to come in. We're going to set up, buy more deals, and source those deals. But 
that was a long time to figure out. And treading water, right, is how I viewed it. I was like, man, I've been treading water for a long time. The market got to a point where we weren't doing deals because we don't, since we didn't flip, we had to get value. And so if I had to get good long-term value and assets over the last two years were trading at prices that were scary and alongside the highest prices ever, there was more inventory coming on the market than ever. And I'm like, that's a recipe for disaster. And so then we, I don't want to say that, I, you know, we were paralyzed in fear or anything, but it was just stuck. And I don't even like the word stuck isn't right either, but trying to understand that next step. Um, but when I look at trying to understand that next step is, first of all, it never was truly clear. It's become very clear now. But when we started going down that road, it took me a little while down that road to figure out if that was true. I may have had to turn around, come back and figure it out again, right? But doing, doing is what makes that stuff clear, right? Doing for me, and how do you, uh, if you're, if you, especially if you're, you're stuck and you're not moving forward, that's not answering questions, right? You find out more about how you need to move from income to wealth because of your, because you're actually doing it, right? And uh, uh, it's, it's almost like momentum creates momentum and it clears the way. Or I like a, you know, I, I like the analogy of fog. Fog, you can see 20 feet in front of you but you can't really see much farther than that. And any investor or business person that tells you that they have a perfect picture of their path and everything like that obviously never went through 2020. <laughs> so that's not even, you know, reality. We can, you know, we had a, a foresight of basically 30 days. Everybody in America had a 30-day foresight. Nothing more. Not banks, economists, no one. And that's part of it. And that's part of growth and everything. And I don't think people should expect there to be this huge, long, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do or my destination even. I can have an idea, right? This is where I'd like to be in life, things like that. That's fine. But that doesn't mean you get to see the path clearly. And if you're waiting to see that path clearly for everybody listening to it, you're going to be waiting for a long time because I've never seen it. Maybe, maybe I'm just not smart, but it's never happened to me. Look, I see the path when I look backwards going like, oh, this is that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. exactly. Uh, hindsight. That yeah. was, that's so clear. I can see the whole way. <laughs> oh man. I'm like, just this, is, I like what you're saying a lot. And when I look back, so in, I remember in 2015, just 20, not that long ago, right? Five years ago. Like, and we had a house in West Seattle that we sold for $361,000. And we thought the people that bought it were so dumb. Like that house went 40 grand over asking highest priced house in the neighborhood right and we're like this is ridiculous we just suckers we printed a mint you know that kind of yes. thing on this thing and that house right now is worth like eight hundred and ten thousand dollars something like that right in that neighborhood and so how now were they suckers for buying it right or was i suckers for selling it so it's the and I, when i look back on time it's very easy for me to self-reflect and go man i was so dumb not not keeping these houses. We could have made way more. We could have done this. And that makes me then go, okay, in the future, I'm going to do that, right? Yes. But it's a different future. We don't know the future. And I've, if you would have talked to me since 2016, I've thought the market was going to crash any moment already, right? Which has always pulled me back from making like long-term business investments. Yes. And because I've been scared of having something more than 12 months or more than six months because something might happen, right? Yes. And now that this has happened in 2020, I'm like, see, see? And I'm like, wait, maybe that's not going to happen. Maybe real estate market is actually going to keep going up in reality. And like, I'm trying to find this self-fulfilling prophecy, like almost like in my head, I'm looking for it to happen and, and I'm missing all the other cues, yes. right? So No, I love that because it's so interesting how we all, you're, it, it, it's we get these ideas of what the path looks like and you don't realize till you're on it that, oh, wow, all this stuff that's going on from COVID-19 to the protests, everything else like that, that actually had, for most markets, no effect on real estate. My market, like your market, real estate prices went up and they keep going up. And it's like everybody before is like, oh, I'm going to wait and not buy until everything crashes, right? But so many of those people have been waiting for another 2008, and it's never coming. They're never going to get it. And if you look back 
on prices. And I had this conversation with um, some people a long time ago because I bought my house and I built my house and bought it in kind of the, the, the depths right after the crisis when everybody was born or uh, born, when everybody was burned. And everyone told me that I was stupid. I bought the house and I told myself I was stupid. It was like, I am the dumbest person out here, right? The fact of the matter was none of us knew. We only thought 2008 was going to happen again because it had just happened. And everybody was waiting for another drop in home prices so they could get what had happened in the past. And then everybody kept saying, and especially millennials were like, we're not going to buy homes till they drop again like they did last time. But that's never worked in the history of the United States outside five years before 2008. It's the only time that if you decided not to buy a home, you had a five-year period before 25, uh, 2008 where that worked. That's it. The entire history of the real estate market, prices went up. So if you look at it like that, all of a sudden you're going, wait, hold on. Why are we expecting that to happen again? But it's because that was our experience, right? And so we shape that and we have those biases or these things that we're expecting to happen or come to fruition. And that's, that can kill a lot of us in our investing approach and style. So I like what you said, long-term. And that's how we try to view it. If I'm buying an asset, I'm buying it for today, tomorrow, forever. I should never want to sell that. It doesn't mean I won't, but I need to be okay with that. If not, I probably shouldn't be owning it. Maybe I should say no to this house then that I just looked at. Because <laughs> I'm like, we're going to flip this one, right? I don't want to keep this one. That's a bad house, right? Yes. And I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I should say no. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, man, we've been going over an hour. I really appreciate you, you know, being here, um, talking with us. It's it, especially the time that I think a lot of us are, are in now, 2020, wondering where to go. This was a very this is a conversation that needs needs to happen. And I think it, it's perfect for our viewers. And two, I like real conversations where people, we don't have all the answers. And also, too, everybody listening to you, we're okay with that. We don't need to have all the answers to keep moving forward. And if you can adapt that in your life, you will. your life will be a lot better. I truly believe that. I think that summarizes in a sense that sometimes the right action is – Sometimes no action too. Yes. So the not saying that's the right thing for you. Right? Yeah, 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 we're not yeah, saying, not saying that. But. but sometimes be okay with that. Yeah. And right now I think that's where I'm leaning towards on some stuff. So yeah. I love it, man. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on. Where can people go find you? Where where should they uh, you could follow us on Instagram at Tarl Yarber, T A R L, I'm the only one. And then the Bigger Pockets, you can check us out there. Uh, you go to Bigger Pockets YouTube channel. And you'll find a bunch of videos we do there as well. Uh, my company is Fixated RE on Facebook, and you'll see a bunch of stuff there too. Right on. We'll put it in the show notes. Thanks again, man. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more, and feel free to check us out at Cashflow with the number 2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.